welcome to Cheers to Beers. I'm your host, Jess, and we are back with the second installment of the Art of Beer series, where I am interviewing and chatting and sharing a beer with artists who work with breweries. So I'm happy um, to be joined by Ryan Williams of Holy Mountain Brewing, whose work is synonymous with the Holy Mountain brand. He does really cool um, kind of occult themes, um, you know, Holy Mountain is clearly like inspired by metal and there's a lot of influences that come in with that, particularly like tattoo styling, mythology, and like fun, fantastical, creepy, weird, all that good shit, man. Um, that's him. So that's who I'm joined by, um, We recorded in the tap room before open, which was nice to be in that tap room. So quiet. So we had a couple beers, but we started off with um, a big one. <laughs> we drank Sammy Claus Doppelbach, a classic German brewery uh, Doppelbach that is real big. Uh, so... We started off with that and then ended up with Fort George's um, Cathedral Tree. Two like totally different ends of the spectrum, but uh, that's how we roll. I do want to give a quick acknowledgement to uh, folks in the service industry. You know, I work in the beer industry, like breweries, bars, restaurants, all these spots um, getting like hit hard with a virus pandemic going on so you know thinking about you guys hang in there we'll get through it we're here to support each other and hopefully you've just stocked up on good beer and hopefully this can be a little bit of a distraction to you know have a drink with some friends while social distancing but for real love all you guys like stay safe stay healthy you know just Stay inside and smoke some weed and drink some beer. Shit kind of sucks, but we're going to get through it. Strange times we find ourselves in. It's also a good time to start drinking through your cellar. Um, Deciding what I'm going to pull out of here. Might go for this frame. Pruim? I don't know what that means, but it's Lambic inspired, so needs to warm up a little bit. I'm also going to drink this out of a wine glass because it's just, it just seems right. Really nice color, really, really fizzy carbonation. But it's not like overly happy in the bottle. It's not like exploding. But um, you could tell there was definitely some secondary fermentation. It's pretty tart, but to style for sure. It's like a little tannic. 
not in in like a unpleasing way just kind of the amount of um like astringent tannins mixed with a like a souring sensation can kind of clash a little bit but the bottle does say that it may even remind you of grapefruit lemonade which honestly they're not wrong that is <laughs> almost dead on so really just drink anything that you have in your house along um along with us like I said I just found this frame in my beer fridge so you know what it's time to just open up all the stuff you have in your house if you need some other social distractions you know you can follow Seattle Beer School at Seattle Beer School and myself just just beer on Instagram all right let's get into it we are talking about kind of how research influences uh, Ryan's inspiration taking deep dives on esoteric occult history and uh, transition from going from graphic design to illustration fucking the crazy ass bottle release days that holy mountain has and of course i cannot resist a little baseball talk i'm sorry that's just that's what you get baby stay safe drink beer uh smoke weed every day cheers We've got a couple beers here that we're gonna check out which one do you want to do first uh we should probably drink the semi class first yes. since it's 12 30 in the morning and a 14 percent doppelbach yes. is what that calls for awesome i uh actually on my first so this is the um art of beer series um where i'm interviewing artists who work for breweries and we did a doppelbach then as well so it's kind of funny that both you guys <laughs> chose doppelbachs to do uh this is one of the beers that i like first got into when i started like really drinking craft beers. Yeah. So going to uh, Uber Tavern in like 2005. Yeah. Um, when like Browers had been, Browers was two years old then maybe. So there just weren't that many beer bars around. Dude, you've been in the scene for a while. A little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I know like almost everyone I know, I know from beer somehow. Yeah, nice. Um, and so Uber would always have either Sammy Claus or Scaldus on at all times. And so 2005, I was like 23 years old or whatever. Um, and so like you drink 14% uh, <laughs> Doppelbox yeah, right? at just, one in the morning. Just be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that's almost got like viscosity of a barley wine. That's yeah. crazy. So it's a Doppelbox, but it's 14% alcohol. They make it one day a year. <laughs> it says malt liquor on the label. It does. <laughs> I think it's just because of the alcohol percentage that right. they can't call yeah. it beer anymore. That's funny. Um, they make it one day a year at the Eggenberg Brewery, uh, and it's released 10 months later. Um, and this beer, so it's a Doppelbock, it's a lager. Right. Um, and the best Sammy Claus I've ever had is 10 years old. Dang. Okay. So it's it like, it shouldn't age, right? Like why? <laughs> yeah. Well, what? <laughs> but it's amazing. Um, I mean, this tastes like it's almost, it almost tastes like it's barrel aged. Uh, it's, is it? I honestly don't know. It must be because it's released 10 months after it's right. Burned, so yeah. Mm, wow. It is crazy. Cause it's got like pretty intense notes of like, caramel and dried fruits um but the mouth the body is actually not too heavy like it yeah. still has a little bit of that lager quality mm -hmm. <laughs> associated with it 
And it's like, a, this one's a year old. I've had it in my basement for a year. Nice. And it's like still a little hot, you know, sure. like, uh, which makes sense. But then the older it gets, the like, it just gets like the sweetness kind of balances out a lot. Okay, and nice. it tastes a little less alcoholy. Yeah. Um, okay. So you said that, you know, was that 15 years ago, hanging out at Uber Tavern? Yep. Um, is that kind of where you got a lot of your beer exposure? Where, where else were like your haunts that you learned about beer? Um, I mean, I knew like pretty soon after that, I met Nat when he moved from, he was the manager at Big Time and then moved over to Browers. Uh, so I met Nat right around then. Um, and then I worked at the like Seattle and Portland International Beer Fests for seven or eight years. Um, so it was just around beer a yeah, lot, for sure. even though I wasn't working in beer. Yeah. And really like, there was a couple of years when I was just basically at Uber. I live <laughs> two blocks away, <laughs> half a block away, half a block yeah. away. And so I was just in there pretty much every night. Yeah. Like, all right, let's drink a $50 bottle of Lou Pepe Creek. Right. And the funny thing about Uber is that if um, you don't really know the beer scene or even if you're kind of like newish to Seattle, it's kind of like a spot you just see as you're cruising down 99, like kind of totally unassuming. But then you go in and there's actually some stuff in there. (laughs) Well, and in again, like 2005, like there was Browers and there was uh, I mean, the Stumbling Monk was obviously around. Um, And there were there was a couple of bottle shops but not really many places where you could walk in and drink a Scaldus Prestige. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we had, and like Dogfish Head came out a few times and we had like, like, I don't know, there was just less places. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was kind of a little bit before the, the boom really happened, but there are those like OG spots in Seattle, like Browers and Bottle Works that really, I think, helped define the scene here. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they're like still my favorite places to go to. I live like ten minute walk from Bottle Works, and it's yeah. the best. <laughs> there too much. Um, so while we're sipping on this guy for like the first half of this, I suppose we'll do a little bit about your personal beer history. Okay. Um, I like to call this the Gateway Beer. What was kind of like your first beer that not your first beer that you ever had, but the first beer that made you realize beer was something more than you know, Coors Light or like whatever was at the party, you know? Yeah. When I was in college, I went to college in Savannah, Georgia, and we used to basically only drink Boddington's for some reason. I don't even know what that is. Boddington's (laughs) is like an English pale. Okay. Interesting. Um, It's like 16 ounce cans with like the little nitro thing in there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we drank a ton of Boddington's. For some reason, it's like that kind of town. Okay. I don't know why. And then came here and... I feel like drank like just a bunch of like Deschutes, like for sure. Mirror Pond yeah. and like Red Hook, mm-hmm. like was still huge. Right. Um, but then in, when Uber opened, then like you could just buy Canteon Lupe Bay Creek. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like it was just fifty dollars, <laughs> and it was just there, and you could buy it, <laughs> which that never happens anymore. Right. Right. Um, so just got really into. Uh, really into Lambics and um, like there was Dre Fontaine and like uh, remember like Hanson's Mead the Goose? Do you know that beer? <laughs> no. Hanson's who like makes some trash. Okay. But they make a beer that's like half mead, half goose. It's like a very. Ooh, yep. It's Is it like, good? 
It's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. It's like got all the like goozy funkiness, yeah. but then like that kind of like honey sweetness mm-hmm. from the I mead. I can see that working. It's good. I was just um, up at Garden Path in Burlington and I don't know if you've been up there. Um, I haven't yet. Yeah. It's a really fun spot. The owners are really rad, um, but they, they make good beer and their whole thing is that they only use ingredients from Skagit Valley. Right. Um, but I think the best thing that they do is mead. They do such good fruited mead. I think their strawberry mead, uh, man, this must have been fall or maybe late summer when last time I had that. It's so incredible. It's so good. And when I was just there this weekend, there was also a boysenberry and a raspberry, I think. Okay. And I like my first introductions to mead. And I think that I kind of feel like it's making a comeback in a, like some ways, because I remember my first meads that I ever had were like, so, so sweet. Like, viscous like hard to drink yep. you know and they're really i don't i don't know really anything about the mead making process but whatever they're doing is working really well because they are so well balanced you still are like getting the honey sweetness but it feels like like it's supposed to be there right. <laughs> and then it just like with this like fresh local fruits like that shit is so good. They need. They don't bottle their mead, but they need to because it is so. You can only get it at the little tap room in Burlington. Right. So, uh, I've never been to that tap room because I, if I'm up there for whatever reason, so like taking my kid up to watch the tulips or something, mm-hmm. like we'll just stop by Chuck Nut and yeah, like of go to South Nut. And <laughs> right, which is so easy to do. So yeah, probably honestly, probably back to where we were. Yeah, probably Cantillon. Like I probably just dude, that's like, badass. Um, and that started just me trying to learn as much as I could about Belgian beers and uh, Lambics in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few years after that, um, my buddy Ken and I, who used to bartend at Uber, um, he and I went to Belgium for a few weeks and just like kind of toured around and drank as much Lambic as we could. And uh, That's crazy. I feel like when I usually ask people this question, it's like, I mean, I remember mine was a Belgian wit, but it was American made. It wasn't actually Belgian. Um, I, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, like uh, some sort of wheat ale, like maybe a really tasty IPA or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty awesome that your history is like, I mean, being surrounded by craft beer in the 2000s, you know, obviously up in here, it's pretty easy to be exposed to it. But the fact that you're like, no, nah, I got into Lambics. <laughs> we went to Belgium. <laughs> yeah, it, it was literally like mirror pond Lou Pepe Creek there was like no <laughs> middle ground that's great um yeah and that seems like it probably informed a lot of like where you are today in terms of working in the Seattle beer scene and for sure yeah I know I mean I know Colin from Uber back in the day um I mean we would hang out there and knew each other from there mm-hmm. and then he worked at the we worked at the same festival for quite a while um and then my friend Ken who now owns Slobo Tavern like he and I he bartended there for 10 years I think uh, and we were roommates for seven years dang uh, like the all of my friendships in Seattle basically start at Uber Tavern <laughs> I like that yep um I feel like I've met a lot of my people my beer people through the family at Browers so it's kind of cool to like I, I've, I feel like people tend to have these locations that you like kind of build up your little beer family at. And we're just lucky to be in a place like Seattle where there's multiple of those places where you can yeah. kind of like build up your friendships and like beer knowledge and beer activities. Yeah. So I, you know, the reason why I 
knew who you were was because of your work with Holy Mountain, which is where we're drinking right now. Um, and from your artwork that's being done, I, I've just always been like a fan of that kind of, it's like kind of etched looking and it's like a lot of occult imagery, which is, you know, pretty like what Holy Mountain does. Um, how did you get kind of started doing artwork for them? Um, like I said, I knew, I knew Colin from, uh, from just a long time ago yeah. and I knew Mike, um, because, uh, uh, Matt, um, at Schooner Exact sponsored a bike team I'm on cool. for a bunch of years. And so we would all hang out at Schooner Exact. Um, and so for a while, Colin and Mike both worked there. And so I got to know, like already knew Colin, got to know Mike a little bit better when he was there. And then when they started their own brewery, they knew I did design. And so was just like made a couple of t-shirts for them and yeah. helped out with kind of little things here and there. Um, and then right around their second anniversary, or a little before that, the second anniversary, we started talking more and more about about coming on full time. Just yeah. brewers growing and like just you need more and more stuff all the time. Right. And I feel like Holy Mountain kind of exploded pretty quick. Like, yeah, I feel like it was a thing quickly once people really got to taste this beer. And I mean, this has always been one of my favorite tap rooms since I've lived here. Um, it really became a thing quickly. <laughs> um so I guess I'm curious about how much of like their direction for your artwork versus your aesthetic kind of like plays into this like really great line work and then like you know like I said occult imagery like how much is that you and how much of that is Holy Mountain? Um, I think that they started with an idea about what the about what the brewery looked like sure. essentially. Um, I mean, the tap room like feels like a temple in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously Holy Mountain and Jodorowsky and, um, but also sleep and all the yeah. like metal <laughs> imagery. Right. And, um, and so that, that kind of stuff kind of plays into what I'm interested in anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I love research. And so if I can find out about one weird, um, Iraqi mystic from the 1500s and like take a deep dive Fuck on yeah. just learn everything about that yeah. then it just makes my job so much easier Right. like I can find one random little inf- piece of information and then incorporate it into all the other like tattoo Im- imagery I'm interested in sure. and that kind of stuff yeah so you said graphic design. Is that like how you do most of your work or do you do like any illustration? Like what are kind of the mediums that you work with? Um, I think when I, when the brewery first opened and I was doing a little bit of work, it was all, all work on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I went to art school, but had gotten out of drawing for most like 10 years basically. Mm-hmm. And so it was just doing stuff in Illustrator or like, um, like the main shirt that we sell is still the first shirt I ever designed for them. Which one's that? The like lunar design, the like red and gray ones on the very oh, yeah. far left. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I made that shirt almost five years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, but as I've, as I did more and more stuff for them and more labels, now it's 95% illustration. Nice. Um, and so until maybe last October, it was all just pen and ink. Um, 
And then I talked to uh, the designer from Tired Hands. Nice. Uh, right around then. And we talked about just like moving everything digital. And so got like an iPad Pro and Hell now yeah. most stuff's just done on there. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the the process, would, do you just like get a name of what the beer is and they're like, go for it? Like, let's see what you do. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes <laughs> there's not even a name. Okay. Sometimes like, all right, we have this new double IPA. Like, let's figure it out. Yeah. And cool. so Mike, Colin and I will like go through a list of names, um, find something that feels like what the beer is basically, um, which I... Uh, I don't even totally understand how that works, <laughs> but like sometimes, uh, sometimes a name just feels right for a beer. For sure. I mean, that's kind of like, there is some sort of mysticism in terms of the artistic process, right? Like you don't really know why it feels good or, or why it's right, but it just is. Exactly. And yeah. I'm sure that helps when like you're collaborating with people too. It's like, it's so much easier to produce ideas when you're bouncing off other people who are like in it with you, you know? Yep. And yeah, now I'm, I've been here three years full time. And so now I have a much, much better feeling about like For what sure. Mike and Colin are going to be into. Right. Like the things that if, if I work on something and it doesn't totally feel right, I might as well not even show it to them because mm -hmm. like if I'm not feeling it, they 100% right. sure won't. Or like, yeah. When I started, I did a little other, a little bit of other stuff. Like when I didn't, like I would. I mean, like pushing around pallets in the brewery and sure, do what you got to do. And, um, I feel like almost everyone here has to wear a ton of hats. Definitely. I mean, I feel like for most small to mid-sized breweries, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, but I think also because of that, it kind of um, there's like more intimacy. I think in terms of like feeling like a part of the company, like you're you're not just like doing cellar work. You can also help with actual brewing or you know packaging the whatever it is there's so many elements to the uh, beer making process that it is kind of fun to be like when you're in a smaller company to really get to do several things because then you're really in it you know um i was talking about this on my last episode um how because beer has it's such a multi-step process for the average beer drinker you don't really understand or maybe you do but a, a lot of people i think don't really know how much goes into beer from like recipe design to brewing the wort to fermentation to like packaging to selling to imagery and artwork there's like there's so many different facets that are going on it's like a huge like a ton of gears all working together yeah. um which i think is what makes beer really special and why working for a brewery can feel like totally different than any other industry that i've personally experienced yeah yeah and we I think people think we're a much larger brewery than we are. Sure, yeah. Um, because we're constantly asked, like, why don't you just make way more Hand of Glory? <laughs> um, Barrels cost money. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, the answer is, like, there's 15 people that work here. Right, yeah. Uh, total in the tap room, like, including me, like, we're little. Mm -hmm. And... Hand of Glory takes 18 months to make. Right, right. So it's in, like it's two barrel, two uh, ages in two different kinds of barrel. Like it just takes a long time. Right. And 
I, I think that's like part of what makes it so special too. I mean, your guys' releases are insane. Like the <laughs> the lines that form and <laughs> like on Instagram, the posts that are like, no, you cannot drink in beer. Like you must be like in line. Do not leave the line. Like you have to create all these like guidelines for people because the release days can get kind of crazy in here. Um, but that kind of, sh- I feel like that because there's not a ton and ton of your beer to go around, it does make it a little bit more special. Like I have friends who are like, no, we make a whole day out of it. Like we like go get breakfast and then we get in line and like we do this and that. And like, it, it is like a whole experience almost in terms of like finally to get, to get a bottle of hand of glory, you know? Yeah. I mean, and we appreciate all of our customers, obviously. <laughs> um, but there was a while that we kind of tolerated the drinking in line, Yeah. but people took advantage of it. Exactly. And like, when we're trying to wristband people to get their IDs and like literally kicking over glasses and oh, God. people walk in here at 1230 wasted. Yeah, no, that's like, out of control. I can't, I can't sell you any alcohol if you're yeah, drunk. Right, exactly. Like, including the bottles that you want to pay for. <laughs> the ones that you were standing in line for hours for it. Like, come on. Uh, and so like you have to kind of reel it back in oh, once, for sure. once people are out of control. Right. Um, but yeah, people being like, why, why can't you just make more of it? It's like, even if you got to the point where production was on a bigger scale, I feel like it, there's like some sort of value in, I don't want to say scarcity, but like having minimal amounts of it. Because then like, if I have a friend who has that bottle, I'm like, oh my God, thanks for holding on to this so we could share it together. It like becomes more of an experience to have with someone yeah. versus just like, oh, I can pick this up at Safeway. You know, yep. <laughs> and um, I think that's always been kind of like a, a theme for Holy Mountain. I mean, when this tap room first opened, I remember there like not even being a sign outside. I don't even think like Holy Mountain was painted on the <laughs> on the building. Like I remember it being very elusive. Like I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's always kind of been a part of the brand. Um, not that the beer is elusive, but like you know, I feel like that kind of plays into what makes this brewery special. Yeah, and as far as like our releases, like. We can we can only make so much beer, you know. Right. Like, yeah. Um, we had a midnight sale release on Friday and released um, this like really cool like um, strong Belgian ale called Bunui at the same time, and like people really really dig midnight still, and like a little less people dig Bunui, and so like right. that beer's around right now. Yeah. Even though. Like, personally, I like Bonnui a lot better because I don't drink a lot of Imperial Stouts. Right. And there's definitely, like, this kind of, like, hype train about getting, like, crazy big Stouts and barrel-aged Stouts and whatnot. So it's kind of a shame to see something get overlooked, um, especially when you're releasing them side by side. Like, you're already here, so, like, might as well get this really great yeah. beer that maybe you don't know about or maybe you've never even drank this type of beer. But, like, you're already here, so might as well, like, get it or, like, drink it on tap if it is on tap, you know? Well, and people aren't drinking Midnight Still or Hand of Glory. <laughs> it's just a commodity that they own now that just goes to their house. And they're like, well, maybe if I buy this one, then I can trade it up for this other beer I that it. I want even more. And then no one drinks it, and it sits around until it's dead. It's so silly. Like, this is something that I've talked about a lot is um, this, like, secondary market. Um but yeah, it's like, it actually is such a waste. Like I understand valuing something, um, 
for sure like I've aged beer I've held on to beers until it was like the right situation to drink it but like to just not drink it at all and just to have it like what are you doing <laughs> what's the point of that and no I, I'm guilty as well just because right. I forget about beer sure it's like um, yeah like the last time I moved I was like oh I have this JW Lee's that's now 12 years old like is this beer still good yeah like, maybe but um, a couple episodes ago um me and my um, occasional co-host, Shauna Cormier, we opened up a, I can't remember if it was five, no, it was five-year-old um, Bourbon County. Okay. And uh, it was such an interesting experience because th- the label even says, like, age up to five years. So we're like, okay, it's the five-year mark. Like, let's open this and see what happened. And it, I don't know what happened to the beer, but it did not age well. Like, and I know that that beer can age well. Um, but it's kind of like a risk you always take. Like, sure, you can hold on to Bourbon County or Midnight Slur or whatever for however long. And those types of beers can age very nicely. But you're also risking that by the time you open it, it might be total garbage. Yeah. Well, and I think five or six years ago is when Goose Island got bought. It, it that, was the, I think it was the last beer... time they made it before they got bought. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I remember it getting a lot thinner mm, after that. Because mm-hmm. I remember... Bourbon County used to be amazing. Yeah. And now they just, it's kind of thin and they make a bunch of weird variants and. So many variants. I mean, I kind of understand the appeal and I understand why you would do it. Like if you can make money off your base beer, like go for it, especially if you enjoy doing it as the brewer. But I don't know. At a certain point, it kind of gets a little out of control. Kind of going back a little bit to your personal art history and journey. Was art something that you always knew you were going to do is it something like you always like doodled as a kid or is it something you kind of discovered a little bit later on like how much of an influence did that have and like your life trajectory um yeah I think I always knew I was gonna do some kind of art um like I remember when I was a kid I would like draw like baseball logos and sell them to my friends oh my god that's amazing New York Mets logos and stuff and sell them to my friends so it was either going to be, when I got ready to go to college, it was either going to be art or architecture. Nice. And I knew I wanted to go to the Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was like, well, if I go for architecture, you have to do way more math. So much math. And it's a five-year program instead of four years. So I was like, well, I literally, the amount of loans I have to take out <laughs> Dude, for four real. years Woo. is plenty. Yeah. Like, I don't need an extra year and if I go to the regular program, I have to take one math class total. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> um, so then at school, was it just kind of like where you honed in your like technical skills and kind of like found your aesthetic? No, honestly, like I did graphic design and I, I did really well, but I was mostly doing work on computers and mm-hmm. um, when I was in school. And then, like I said, for almost 10 years afterwards, I never drew ever. Wow. Um, I just sort of, like, I had a lot of life drawing classes and things like mm-hmm. that in school. And then afterward, I, I just never did that anymore. I was doing graphic design. I was working for, a like, a specialty food company making, like, cheese labels and That's stuff fun. like that. Yeah, it was fine. I did it for, like, 12 years. It was good. Um, it was a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until right around the time Holy Mountain opened that I just really started to draw again and really got yeah. more interested and um, a lot more interested in drawing. Yeah. Um, so it's, I feel like I've grown as an artist like as the brewery's grown basically. For sure. I mean, that makes sense. It's kind of like if you're given like 
more freedom. Like the business you work with trusts you a little bit. You can kind of like push push yourself and kind of like really do something that you're feeling like instead of getting a contract and being like, this is what you have to do. This is what we need. It goes through a bunch of people, like a really clunky process, you know? And then once it gets to the top, your feedback comes back and you're like, cool. So you want me to just change everything? (laughs) Like that seems like, and I'm not an artist, but that seems like an incredibly frustrating experience. I've seen it happen. Um, So I like, it's pretty dope that you're like at this point where you can really like have a true relationship with the company that you're working for. And like, that's more of a connection. And I feel like it probably makes you a better artist too, to really feel like have a real relationship with what you're doing. Much better. I, I used to do a bunch of freelance work and I hate it. And I've basically never hit a deadline ever, ever, ever. (laughs) Like I'm sure I'm behind on two deadlines for freelance work right now. Yeah. Um, but I love, like, I hit all my deadlines for work. Right, like, yeah. Like, I'm super stoked to just come to work every day and do my job. Right. And not have to worry about, like, the politics of, like, oh, well, maybe they won't, like, quite this thing, but I, yeah. it's really important to me. And, like, here I can just come in and do what I do. And everyone right. likes it. And yeah, for sure. Um, and freelancing is kind of just, like, a whole other game, like, Freelance is freaking hard work. And like, it seems like you're at the point in your career where people are like, please do this for me. But like when you're starting out and trying to just like find clients and stuff, like, and like different budgets and like, okay, is my art worth more? Or like, do I just have to take this job because I need money and I need to build my portfolio? Yeah. That's rough. And yeah, now it's to the point where it's like, okay, I'll take this job because it seems cool Mm -hmm. and I'll be happy with the drawing, even though I'm going to spend way more time on it than what I'm getting paid. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's like, it seems like the kind of that like conflict, like with art and deadlines is kind of, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing with writing, like, man, like maybe your best work isn't going to get produced within this deadline and that kind of sucks, but that's like how it is. Yeah. Like, you can't really do anything about it. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've seen, like, on your Instagram and stuff, too, that you've done some work with, like, leather work. Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Um, I love baseball. Um, And so uh, maybe five or six years ago, I really needed a new wallet and, like, had this old baseball glove that was falling apart and, like, cut it apart and decided to make myself a wallet and then kind of taught myself how to do leather work. Um, and got a little bit into it and did some like craft shows. Um, there's like, there's one at the tractor tavern that happens once a year. That's like right before Christmas. So like I'd get to like put all my stuff out and have a couple of Rainiers and relax and sell some stuff. Uh, and it was great. Um, but then like I have a two year old now. Yeah. That changes things. (laughs) Yeah. I can't like put her down at eight and then I can't be like hammering on stuff and making a bunch of fucking noise. Yeah. So that's kind of, I like almost never get to do it right now. Yeah. Like at some point I'll get back to it. It's like, I'm just like kind of curious about that in general. Is it like, is it like heat press to like put in designs? Like how does that even work? No. Uh, Oh, for the, the baseball leather. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess so. Like some <laughs> some of it's just ink, oh, okay, but some of it's cool. like actually like heat and heat and ink to make all the stamps in it. Okay, interesting. Then would you like you make your own stamps, or is that like even something you've gone to like? Yeah. So I like you make a leather stamp, and then I, like you 
when I started, I was like heating it up on my stove <laughs> with like this little pair of like pliers yeah. and just like pushing it down leather. And so it's like literally like burning it into yeah. leather, um, which it was super fun. That sounds um, like it. Yeah. And I really love doing it. It's just like, it, it's so time consuming. Oh, for sure. And loud. like, yeah, more of like a space you have to take up to do that. Exactly. <laughs> Versus like drawing or working on your iPad. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I'm terrible at Instagram. Like I, <laughs> I feel like I used to be pretty good, but now I post every like six weeks. Yeah. And also like if you're trying to be consistent, it's like really time consuming to like, yeah. Like if you're trying to like really like market yourself on there, it's like, it's not as simple as just like posting a picture unless you have like a huge following. But like in my experience, um, I teach education classes with Seattle beer school and that's like, I'll be like, all right, I'm just going to like put a, a couple posts up and blah, blah, blah. And like an hour later, it's not even me just scrolling through Instagram. It's like me legitimately like, all right, editing this, like what hashtags filters for the photos. Yep. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I think Bri, <laughs> oh, uh, I don't, I don't think we spend a ton of time on it, but, uh, but other breweries, it seems like they spend yes. a huge amount of time and it's really important. I mean, it's important to us. Like that's how we market everything we do. Right. Uh, I mean, no one uses Facebook anymore. I know, right? So like we announce every beer release, every time we put new merch online. Yeah. Like it's all through Instagram. Right. And if like you're, if you're following knows that that's like all you really need to do if they're like okay all i have to do is look at the instagram to know what's up then like why you don't really need to do anything else <laughs> i don't know why i wouldn't yeah. want to spend the time doing anything that's great else. yeah um okay so you you mentioned baseball mm -hmm. um and did you grow up in georgia no i grew up in alabama oh, okay so yeah. who's your team uh the red Sox, actually really yeah why is that my buddy jeremy when i was growing up his folks are from bath maine mm-hmm um, and I hated the Braves. Really? And when I was a kid, there's no, so the Marlins weren't around until uh -huh. I was 12, maybe. Um, and the Rays weren't there until way after then. Mm -hmm. And I just hated the Braves. And so I would like watch Red Sox games with Jeremy. Nice. Uh, and so I got really into the Red Sox and then like went off to college and just like kept following the Red Sox. That's funny. So mm -hmm. like, w what are your thoughts on the Mariners? Are you still like diehard Red Sox or like... Oh, I, I go to somewhere between 15 and 20 Mariners games every year for 15 years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and they're like, I mean, I like the Mariners, <laughs> but like I'll never root for the Mariners over the Red Sox. Yeah, like I hope sure. they win all the rest of their games. Sure, yeah. What's your favorite beer to get at a baseball game? Oh, well, it definitely has to depend on the stadium. Um, the, um, uh, was it T-Mobile Field now? Um <laughs> um there's always been really good beer at that stadium like it's i mean it's super easy to grab like a 16 ounce can of like a fremont beer but like if you search it out you can find they have like casks there which is super fun um i know ruben sells like a six dollar can of their ipa there the crikey the crikey yeah you can get like, okay. a six dollar can it's a 12 ounce um that's good. That's the same price as High Life. That's pretty right? good. Yeah. Um, so I usually start off with like a couple of my fun beers. I like to go on a little adventure because I also have like a restrictive diet. So I love to go around and see like what kind of food I can get and then get a couple like the good beers. But it's like once we reach like not even the seventh inning, I'm drinking Rainier. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> at that point, like I'll do a couple of my like fun beers knowing that I'm going to spend money at the park. Uh, but then at a certain point, it's like all going to be the cheap stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I essentially, when I leave this building, I only drink Bodhi and Rainier. I mean, it's a not a bad lineup you got there. I mean, Bodhi's always so solid, and Rainier is, like, I still think one of the better, like, larger mega loggers that exists like i can like try to drink other things but and i don't know if i'm just like feeling biased or like a weird defensiveness about it but i truly think that it is like one no. of the better ones Rainier and hams and only yes end of end of list i don't know like paps is trash mm-hmm. uh, really bad i had one recently recently a couple months ago i was like i don't really want to drink tonight i'll, I'll just like uh, they have pa- cans of paps I, i'll get that and i was like Bro, I can't even finish this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it tastes like corn, but not in like the good like Medela special way. No, 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 no. It's awful. Yeah, no, like it like did not make me feel good. Like usually, like I, I'm like a 98% beer drinker. I know how to drink beer and like how my body handles it. But like if I'm drinking, if I'm halfway through a beer and it's making my stomach hurt, I'm like <laughs> something is wrong with this. I drink way too much beer to like have it affect me this way unless it's total trash. Yeah. Light light lagers are one of my very very favorite things. Uh, I, I mean, specifically Rainier. Mm-hmm. So like, I love that it was made here forever. Right. Like the old Rainier brewery is gorgeous. It's, I love that that building still exists. So at the old Rainier, not the original Rainier brewery, but the old Rainier brewery that was T-Mobile and is now I don't even know what's in there anymore. Yeah. A bunch of stuff. Yeah. So there's a statue on the end of that building uh-huh. that's a uh, that. It's it was donated to us by, or donated to them by, maybe Cronenberg, <laughs> like fifteen fifty four. What? Uh, so like given to the Rainier Brewery. Okay. And it's like it's a woman with an a like upraised hand holding uh-huh. a glass of beer. Okay. So it's like this beer statue of liberty. Hell yeah. And um, the name of that statue is the Spirit of Good Living. Which is like my Instagram handle. Oh my god! When, when I made leather stuff, it's like all from that statue. That is awesome. What like I, a fun. I love Rainier beer. <laughs> I was gonna honestly, when I was thinking about what beers to bring, I was like, what if we just drink like a twelve ounce can of Rainier and a twelve ounce bottle of Rainier <laughs> and a sixteen ounce can of Rainier? I wouldn't have been mad if when I rolled up, that was what was laid out on the table. I'd be like, we're doing it. <laughs> we can drink more than two beers. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, we are finishing up our really fun Doppelbock right now, and maybe we could like rinse these glasses and open our next beer. Sure, let's do it. All right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got um, Fort George coming up next. We were just talking about how this past weekend was Festival of the Dark Arts. Have you been before? I haven't, actually. I haven't either. Uh, the whole thing is it's just that it's not even just barrel-aged beer. It's just like dark beer. Um for those who don't know, uh, Fort George is out in Astoria, Oregon. It's like a pretty much coastal town. So right on the river, right when it opens up to the ocean. Um, adorable little town. I love it so much. And I really do enjoy Fort George beer. Like their brewery there is fucking awesome. Um, they've always made good beer. And I, even if it's just like a day in Astoria, I always have a really good time there. So, Yeah, and it used to be... I don't. I don't remember what the brewery is that's right around the corner from Fort George. But I think Fort George started from someone working at. Is it just a story of brewing? Oh, maybe. And now there's just a, tons and tons of breweries in Astoria. It's, it's pretty crazy. Like once you go out to their like piers right there, they have. There's a buoys right there. Buoys there. Um, 
but yeah, a fun little town, and Fort George is awesome. So, Cathedral Tree. Yeah, so this is a barrel fermented lager. I think I've only had this on draft before. Yeah, it's been a second. Um, so, one of my favorite beer styles that we do a couple like this is doing lager in oak. Yeah. Um, I mean, Fort George must have an enormous cold room because they are able to cold ferment this in a fooder, <laughs> which yeah, is wild. <laughs> um, when we've done them, so like our watchman's house um, is this way, and so we fill six barrels of beer, and then we have to move it in and out of the fucking cooler a bunch. Yeah, that sucks. When I say we, I, it's not me. It's not my job. <laughs> we it's is the else. collective. The collective we, the royal we. <laughs> we move it in and out of the cooler a bunch. Yeah. So it's like six weeks of... Like, trying to keep it the right temperature, so, like, our cooler's too cold. And so, in the morning, it has to come out of the cooler. And then when everyone leaves at night, it has to go back in the cooler just to, like, keep it at, yeah. like, 40-something degrees. Right. Um, it certainly smells like a Pilsner. Um, that's really good. It's, like, there's not, like, a really any funk. It just tastes, like, oaky and a little bit more, like, elevated Pilsner, really. It's still, like, super drinkable, but it's just got, like, another dimension to it. It's, it's really good. Yeah. I feel like so many people make pretty terrible pilsners. Mm-hmm. And I'm not super sensitive to diacetyl, um, but it's, there's a lot of... It's easy to happen, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this, like, I mean, this just got dropped off. It's a month old, uh, January 17th. So it's like still holding up pretty good. It is, yeah. And it's kind of interesting, too. I feel like most things that are barrel fermented tend to come in bottles, um, I think, just because it's like a barrel thing. So you kind of want to like present it in a different way. Um, but it's kind of fun to see a barrel fermented Pilsner in a 16-ounce can. Like, And I think the idea, like, right, when you get a bottle, it's almost like inherent that you're going to be pouring it into a glass. And with a can, it's kind of like, at least for me, it kind of seems like, oh, I could just drink this out of the can. Yeah. Um, and I think you could drink this beer out of the can. I, w- I wouldn't want to necessarily, but I wouldn't be mad about it <laughs> at the same time. So it's like kind of an interesting decision on their part to yeah. can them. I, I mean, I don't even know what Fort George bottles anymore. Yeah, me neither. Good point. Because, I mean, their stouts are all in cans. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's 16 ounces. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, like this, the barrel-aged Pilsners is like a just a great beer style it's yeah so good i agree and i think there's a lot more um that you could do within that style like um aslan has a japanese style rice lager that um they've produced a few times but they recently just released um a barrel aged in oak um so it just kind of chilled in the oak for a little while and that came out really really interesting um to have like a little bit of a adjunct dimension to it um and then adding it into a barrel and like by itself is super good but like it's just like a little something like if you're already making good loggers and you know how to take care of them and how to actually logger and store them why not like mess with it a little bit and kind of see how you can change the flavor or i don't know just do something new because like i like we're just saying we're we seem like the type of people that can drink lagers and pilsners all the time just straight up. But maybe if you're trying to introduce a new level of drinkers into it, maybe the people who are into like weird, quote unquote, weird things, it might be like a good segue. Like, okay, cool. So like you don't normally drink a pilsner, but why, why not try a barrel fermented one? And then 
kind of introduce them into a really classic style that everyone should be drinking. I don't know why you wouldn't be, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's definitely people out there who don't. So, Yeah, I mean, I think most breweries only make Pilsners because they need something for their employees to drink. That's real. Yeah. Um, I mean, no no one here drinks hand of glory or <laughs> right like we had a we had a we did have a cask of midnight still that we mm. infused with again we with uh <laughs> ra- fresh raspberries and cocoa okay. okay just on the like on the bar during yeah. the release on friday and everyone had a little bit of that because yeah. it's delicious yeah that's fun uh sounds like the beer would be good in the cask it was really good yeah, yeah. um and like just fresh raspberries like mm-hmm. squeezed into a bunch of imperial stone yeah it's awesome hell yeah but um, that kind of thing doesn't happen that often we mostly just drink three fates or whatever or black beer <laughs> yes black beer is good um it, it, it is funny because it's like such a, a stereotype for people who work in the beer industry that we only drink lagers it's just one of those things that we're surrounded by beer so often that it's just kind of like you just need something that's easy and not overcomplicated. Like if you're working in a brewery all day long, like I'm, I personally wouldn't want to sit down and try to analyze or like really think about my beer too much. I just like need some, <laughs> just like that yep. classic after work, uh, beer, which is usually a Pilsner for me, um, or whatever lager I have a draft on work. So that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, this beer is fun though. So have, has Holy Mountain done a I think you just said that you've done a barrel fermented pilsner before, or lager uh, of some sort. We've done a few. We have, um, we have a beer on right now called Watchman's House, which is an oak fermented common lager. Cool. Which was one of the original beers we made. Um, so during the one of the first ever beers, and we've made a few. We made one with Tired Hands a couple of years ago called Satan Is Real. Um, I love um, that name. <laughs> yep, it's from a Leuven Brothers uh, like old country album. Hell yeah. Um, and I feel like there's one or two others we've made. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other one was. I honestly don't remember. We can look it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll just just look at our Instagram. In. You can put it on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we made a few of them. But again, like we have, we don't have a big cold room. Right. So it's like a stack of barrels that just gets pushed in and out. Right. Yeah. So if there's a stack of barrels in there, that's room that there's not a bunch of kegs of wit and black beer and right. other stuff that people are buying. Right. Yeah, I see the um, White Lodge all over town, which is good wit. Um, uh, and for, like, what we were saying earlier, like, cool, this is a staff of 15. Like, we can't make that much. For, like, those listening right now, like, this is what's actually happening. Like, moving it barrels in and out of a cold room to <laughs> keep it um, loggering, prep- like, uh, properly but still like being able to produce something really good. So I think it is easy to come into this tap room and kind of look at like, okay, what, um, what are the barrel age stuff? What's like, what's, what's really crazy on tap. But at this, like, again, last time I was in here, I was drinking three fates. So it's like, you know, kind of looking beyond what maybe, you know, a brewery for, like if there's other things on draft, you should be trying that as well because there's, of course there's always the hype beer. Right. But there's if the brewery is making a really good beer in this category, like they're most likely making a really good beer <laughs> in this other category that maybe you're not looking for. Yeah, I feel like most breweries are probably prouder of their lagers than they are of their lagers are hard crazy to make. Barrel aged thing. Yeah, um, and not that barrel aged beers are easy to make. Like that takes a lot of time and patience and tinkering and figuring it out. But lagers are not easy to have. Like a really good like Czech style pilsner is 
my favorite like mm-hmm. to do that really really well isn't easy and like when you find one that's done well like that is something to be excited about you know yeah and i think like i mean just aging in a barrel like all the sweetness yeah. from bourbon like covers up a lot of flaws or mm-hmm. like putting a bunch of raspberry in something like it like you kind of cover up a lot of what might be there oh yeah for sure like you, there's not not a lot of room for that in pilsners Exactly. Like it, it, <laughs> it's either good or it's not good. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like kind of an overarching issue. I think in the craft beer industry is people making crazy adjunct stouts that I think that there are adjuncts in there to cover, like purposely to cover up the fact that like, it's not a good base beer. And like, if you're stout, if like whatever you're barrel aging and like messing with isn't good to begin with, then the end result's not going to be that good. Like no matter what you try to cover it up with like lactose or fruit or whatever, like it's still not going to be great. Like (laughs) you got to figure shit out from the bottom and then do the crazy shit. But people don't care about that. I I mean, think about, so that's like name names, I guess, but like cycle brewing in, uh, there's a lot Florida. of Florida breweries that do this. I know, right? <laughs> it's like not even barrel aged. It's just like, uh, all right, let's put a bunch of fucking sweet stuff in our Imperial Stout and then bottle it and sell it for $35 a bottle. And they do it all day long. It's just like interesting to me because the margins for that can't be that great. Like, okay, maybe if you're selling a bottle for $35, but like all the shit that you're putting, the cost of all the things that are going into that beer to begin with, like, is it even worth it? <laughs> well, I mean, but if that Imperial South's not going into barrels, it's a two week beer. That's true. You just turn it. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about, so Midnight Stills, um, somewhere between 12 and 26 months most of the time. So you're literally paying rent on where that oh, barrel yeah. sits. Yep for two years <laughs> yeah that's real that's a good way to put it you're paying rent on the <laughs> the real estate of the brewery yeah <laughs> um i think this uh cathedral tree was a good follow-up too to our doppelbach because i have a little bit left of mine a good way to kind of it's like cleansing the palate a bit but it's yeah. still very interesting it's not just like wash scrubbing things away you know um okay well i think we'll just probably wrap this up with one more segment i have called drunchies Okay. Where um, drunkies are drunk munchies. Um, you know, you've been out drinking, maybe you're at home, maybe you're out with some friends, and you're enough beers in deep that the uh, cravings are hitting. What, what kind of food are you going for after you've been drinking? Uh, so historically, I am terrible at eating when I'm drunk. Mm. And so I almost never do. I'm, like a not, I'm not like a snacky person in general. Ah. And so... If I am having a really drunken night, I wake up feeling like death in the morning. I'm sure. What? (laughs) So if I'm out with people, if I'm out with people and we're like at somewhere and everyone else is ordering food, I'll order food and I'll eat then. But if I'm on my own or like with, and if I'm just going home, like I never eat anything. So your drenchy is nothing. My drenchy is, (laughs) absolutely. My drenchy is deathly hangovers (laughs) that's so funny to me because i get such intense like salty savory cravings since i've been drinking oh when i'm drinking i only crave more alcohol (laughs) (laughs) it's like i could probably have one more rainier but like well there's there's probably one more bourbon i can have before i go home (laughs) or everyone's always like pizza chips like 
fucking... No, I, like, forget food exists. <laughs> you just get into your own world. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, yeah, and I'm just, I just get home, and I'm like, all right, I'm sleeping now. Yeah. And then, like, seven hours later, I wake up wanting to kill myself. That is, yeah, that is quite awful. <laughs> what, okay, let's change it a little bit. Um, what about hangover food? Hangover food. Um, Anything like that... Like, pho or ramen, for sure. Oh, yeah, need that broth. Um, so, like... But not like good for well like I guess like uh, Babar Fuzz is sure. really good but like Fan Brothers like yeah. cheap ass pho and yeah, just like yeah, put yeah. a bunch of hoisin sauce in it oh yeah like, I feel that anything that's like gonna have, like that salt yeah, you're right because it's not even about like does it actually taste that good it's more of like is this getting the job done yeah like I physically <laughs> just need liquid in my body that's right. not alcohol yeah yeah like easy to slurp up some noodles and anything else so exactly. that's what's happening <laughs> okay awesome well thank you so much for drinking some beers with me and talking about your art and hanging out in Holy Mountain before they open up yeah, no problem. This is my favorite time to be in our tap room. Dude, this is clutch. Because so, it's so hard to be in here when no one's in here. It, I mean... It's impossible. <laughs> but it's... If it was a little bit darker in here, it would be perfect. I love mm, when it's just, mm-hmm. like, dark and cozy. Yeah. Music's low. Yeah. It's my favorite place. Well, also, the light in here is always really nice because it's, like, the high windows and then the big bay door. And it just, like, brings in just enough light and... This is like the best tap room ever. I remember the first time I came in here, I was like, it like literally didn't even know what Holy Mountain Beer was. I just walked in and was like, oh, this is a place that's kind of close to where I live and came in here and I was like, oh, cool. I never want to leave. <laughs> like this, It really does have a, a comfort level that, I mean, if anyone is in Seattle and has drank at this tap room, you know how easy it is to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really hard to just have one beer in this tap room for multiple reasons, but one of them being how comfortable it is in here, and the other because of how good the beer is. So you know, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> All right, cheers. All right, thanks for coming by. Yeah.